0: Flap lever. Up oh, three all. Speed brake. You're on. in one of Eastern's whisper jets. The noisiest section is the pilot's compartment. We keep the door closed. In the cabin it's quiet. The jets and the noise are behind you. The Whisper jet climbs to smooth cruising altitude faster than any other jet airliner. It's the most relaxing plane there is.
1: Fly Eastern. See how much better an airline can be. Are you persisting, existing, or resisting your attention? It's a very interesting question when it comes to the way we find success in our careers. These three words, persist, exist, and resist, are derived from the same Latin verb, which is sister or to take a stand. To persist means, of course, with the prefix of per, through, to suggest stand through, meaning endurance, or to continually move through, despite any setbacks or opposition. Exist means, of course, to stand forth, or to be, here, simply meaning be standing. And resist, with the prefix of re, means to stand against, or not back down. So in our life, are we persisting, existing, or resisting the things we pay attention to? When we think about creativity, we often think about that inspirational lightning, striking when we're least expecting it. We get that crazy awesome creative idea in the shower, or while we're taking the dog for a walk, or when we're settling into the airplane as it taxis down the runway, and we think to ourselves, damn it, why does this happen when I'm not actually looking for it? Except, you are actually looking for it. You just weren't paying attention. You've probably heard before, because it's a pretty well-worn study by now, the idea that the experience of that flash of insight that you get, it seems disconnected, but actually it comes from your brain working in the background on problems that you've set for it. Set in a slightly different way, all those crazy wonderful ideas that you get when you're least expecting it, well, they are emerging from active cycles of your brain when your brain is finally in a state when it can release it. What's getting in your way? Everything else. Science has shown that our human brains can attend to about five to seven bits of information at a time. And so when you've lost your car keys, well, it's because you put them down when there were more than seven bits of information being attended to. When you forgot about that email you were supposed to respond to, well, it became item eight when you read it in the first place. Forget to make that phone call? It was item 10. Can't think of something innovative to write about? It's item 17. Once the things clear out, that's when you go, oh, right, I forgot. you didn't actually forget. It actually just wasn't important enough for your attention until that very moment. But of course, it's bigger than just this moment too, because all those bits of attention pile up the macro level. It's about persisting at longer term goals, existing in your current reality and resisting to what's happening right now and knowing when to do each. That overnight success, well, they've been persisting on finding the right path for years. That business model that didn't evolve and change, they didn't resist soon enough. The guy who can't figure out his career and what to do next, he may be existing and not knowing or unable to know what he should pay attention to. And the person who's always overwhelmed with the swamp of work, are they resisting their more meaningful life because everything seems like a bright and shiny object? Think about it. If you've only got five to seven bits at a time, And time for us is finite. You only have a certain quantity of attention that you can give in your whole life. What moments of attention are you filling your life with? And that's the theme of our show today. Persisting for the long run or giving it too much attention? Existing in the moment or so much that you're blind to the now? Or resisting to change to your negative now? Or ignorant to the possibilities of the futures that wait? What are you paying attention to? And now it's time for me to pay attention to my five to seven bits and resist the urge to add more. I'll dismiss this for now. We'll exist for the next hour with the attention to the news and a few rants and raids. We'll persist in this episode and reminisce about all the stories that consist. We'll desist just before the hour, and we insist that you join us. It's not to be missed. You ready for the twist? It's what subsists. You ready to assist? Well, then let's roll.
0: And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR, with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys.
1: Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 181 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, May 1st, May Day, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the guy who was warned... But nevertheless, persisted to be my content marketing friend, Mister Joe Polizzi. <laughs> How are you, my friend? How do you like that one? That was very nice. Thank you.
0: Uh, you always surprise me with your with your intros.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> I, I do have to say, persistence and resistance is the. Uh, well, of the show, so. speaking
0: of persistence, uh, did you watch uh, the Brown Super Bowl over the weekend? I certainly did. I
1: did. I, I was waiting. I don't know if you saw my Facebook post, but I said I was waiting for the round where the Browns had all 32 picks for the round. And, and I think that was round four or something like that, wasn't it? And that still wouldn't have done it. <laughs> that still wouldn't have
0: been. Well, we did have three first rounders, and but I have to tell you, and I texted you on this, because yes. I thought it was so funny when Drew Pearson, so for those of you that weren't watching the nfl draft over the weekend a lot of you don't like football but here you go we're going to go talk a minute about football uh when one of the cowboys picks sometimes they bring out former players and i think it was the second round robert where drew it was the second round
1: yeah with drew pearson yeah drew
0: pearson former wide receiver yes right former wide receiver for the cowboys came out and it's in philadelphia and of course dallas against philadelphia Uh, our classic rivalry classic rivalry hate Hate each other and the first thing he says is i want to thank philadelphia for making my career possible
1: (laughs) (laughs) such a great troll
0: oh he did he trolled trolled him and he kept going on and on and oh it was the the five time super bowl (laughs) champion (laughs) were you
1: were you rolling you had to I didn't rolling. I didn't actually see it live I'll be honest oh. I didn't see that live I, I had a, a, as you might expect I had a bunch of people hit me up on Twitter and text me and stuff like that and I was like what did I miss um, and then I so I went online and 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 saw it not in real time but it was it was pretty classic
0: yeah I thought that was hilarious but yeah we were you know it seems like for the first time in maybe 15 years the population of Cleveland is happy with the draft now. It doesn't matter. Gosh. I mean, none of it matters right now. But normally, everyone's upset because we picked the quarterback too early, or it's the wrong quarterback, or what. But it seems like everybody had a was good draft. happy. It was oh yeah, a good
1: draft. It was a good draft. Maybe you know, this. We'll see how uh, you guys do. It's just, maybe, this maybe this analytics.
0: Analytics. That's it. Yeah, it's all moneyball analytics. They're playing moneyball, and and for those of you that don't know, going go on about so, so the Browns hired Paul DePodesta. Who was, if you watch the movie Moneyball with Brad Pitt, he was Brad's uh, understudy or partner in crime about going this whole analytics route for the Oakland Athletics when they became That's popular right. off of a little bu- small budget. So he moved to football. He, you know, and the Browns are hopefully gonna, you know, make some magic in the next seventeen years or something like that. So make there you some go, magic. There you That's have it. Anything else going on, or should we uh, should we get to the news?
1: Well, we should get to the news, but we should talk about someone who is powerful, like Drew Pearson. That, <laughs> powerful in their posting, you might even say.
0: Everything is going to be with peas. Yes, the yeah. Drew Pearson posting and and power posts. So welcome to yeah. the age and of they power are persistent. Publicity. That's right. They are, they are very are persistent. Persistent persnickety, even at times. <laughs> um, so want to thank our uh, episode sponsor, Power Post Built. By marketers, for marketers, PowerPost is a time-saving tool for companies who manage content for multiple brands with multiple users. So whether you're an agency or a brand and you have lots of different things going on, it's a fantastic tool. Whether you're in a regulated industry or a creative agency, you want to make sure you check it out. Your team can publish from one location across all your online platforms quickly and efficiently, turning your brand into a, yes, power. Publisher. Now, what's very exciting is that we are going to be doing a webinar on May 9th that you absolutely have to sign up for, and I am a part of this webinar. So hopefully that won't, won't detract anybody from wanting to go to the webinar, but we're going to talk about the five pillars of brand publishing, content planning, workflow, distribution, analytics, and conversion, and to sign up and get for more, more information about the age of Power Publishing and this webinar on May 9th, go to cmi.media slash pnr181. That's cmi.media slash pnr181, and I'm a little bit sad because that is Billy Joel's birthday, and I do like to take the entire day off, but I've made an exception for this webinar, so one hour during the day, I'll extinguish the candles, and I will be <laughs> just doing the webinar. <laughs> You don't re- you don't really
1: take the day off. I do. do Billy?
0: Yes. Billy Joel. It's Billy Joel's. I grew up with Billy Joel. Oh my god. I mean, 52nd Street, glass houses.
1: Oh no, uh, no. I, don't get me wrong. I love Billy Joel. There's, there's 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 there I love Billy Joel, but it's a little weird, I'm just going to say.
0: It's a lot weird. And it's if I I could I have a whole side story that if somebody wants to listen to it some some point when you know when I was in 6th and 7th grade and none of the girls wanted to talk to me it was just Billy Joel and me.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to say the violins now.
0: Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. There's uh, scenes from an Italian restaurant over and over and over again. But anyway, so I hope to see everyone on uh, Billy Joel's birthday May 9th. And uh, we're going to have a good time uh, talking about power publishing. So there you go. Fantastic. Thanks to PowerPost. Uh, thank for, uh, thank for you to PowerPost for supporting Post. us. Yep, yeah. for
1: that uh, for that there wonderful thing. All right, now us. Uh, well, let's move on to the news. Um, sure. At uh, at at five fifty five on the mark on the hour. So you can always skip to that part if you don't like this uh, this stuff. Um, <laughs> and so. Uh, here's the headline from our from the top of the, the show. Uh, Heineken, we have to talk about this. Heineken, ad worlds apart, puts the Pepsi ad to shame, says the headline. This one got tweeted to us a bunch um, this week, so too many folks to, to mention here. But thank you for this as a story idea on the Twitter. We're going to link to a couple of articles here just to give a couple of different context to it. There's a Business Insider um, article that we'll link to that sort of goes through it, and then an ad week that actually talks through the creation of the ad, et cetera. And that article opens up by saying, a feminist and a dude who feels awfully oppressed walk into a warehouse. Sounds like the beginning of a joke, but it's actually the setup for Heineken's Worlds Apart Experiment, created by Publicist London. Uh, It's being billed as the antidote to Pepsi's obtusely pop candy take on our messy political reality. Instead of positioning resistance as the new Coachella, Heineken takes a more measured approach. This writer really loves themselves, a metaphor, I'm realizing as I read this anyway. (laughs) Ahead of the operation, it films six people stating strongly held beliefs that men are oppressed, that the fight for feminism is far from over, that climate change is real, or the piffle that transgender people need a voice, uh, that transgender is a nonsense semantics, said one. Those unwitting candidates were then paired with their opposites and sent together into warehouses where they found themselves with some instructions and a piece of furniture to assemble and guess what it is? It's a bar. And then the commercial goes on to. Did you watch the... What did you What did you take about this and did you watch the actual ad? I, I did watch
0: it. And my, my question to you is, Did this wasn't... Uh, there wasn't a shortened version that was actually an ad. This was made for the internet, right? Correct. This, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, this is not that's a 30-second... Because it's, it's about three minutes long or something like that, I believe. That's right.
1: That's um, right.
0: So I just wanted to, to check with that. So first of all... I mean they make the comparisons to Pepsi, which is fine. you and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago on the show it's not, first of all, it's not an ad just, I mean it's it, to me, I guess it's a they're taking a position at the end, great, there's a little product placement that's going on, but it's not throughout the whole thing necessarily like sort of like the Pepsi thing was, and they're not trying to do too too much. I, so, it's great. I mean, I think I think it's wonderful. I would like to see something like this done ongoing if they're gonna really say, "Hey, Heineken, this is part of our mission about bringing uh, people with different opinions and different backgrounds together. We want to keep this going. my uh, my hesitancy in getting behind something like this is I think it's a one- time thing. Great. They spent three three minutes on this and millions of dollars. To put this together, we all feel good, warm and fuzzies. Is it going to make any dent into Heineken sales? I don't know. It, 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 I don't know if, if, Pepsi, if it's going to hurt Pepsi what Pepsi did. I don't know if it's going to help either. So that's my take. I don't want to be negative Nelly with the whole thing, but that, that's that's sort of the way I, I took it. It's mu- Obviously, it's, I'm much more appreciative of it than what Pepsi put together. But um, did you have a great opinion of how wonderful it was, or, or
1: I I, d- I don't actually no I, I I share your opinion of it which is um, I thought it was a fine piece of content I, I didn't think it was I thought I found it quite frankly I mean look I'm very glad that it's getting the publicity it is I'm I'm happy for them I think that uh, it it shows that a brand can take a point of view on this kind of stuff and come out the other side of it. Not getting raked over the coals, Um, you know, although there were plenty of critiques of it as well. Um, But at the same time, you know, it, I found it, quite frankly, a little too neat. Um, You know, it, it, you know, too, too well produced. To, well, even I, you know, the production was. I, I like the conceit of it, the the whole, you know, building a bar and and you know them, you know, the, doing the tasks together and then discovering that they actually don't agree on the main thing and all that kind of stuff. I wish they had shown one or two that actually did walk out. Right. So, yeah. spoiler alert: everybody finds common ground. Right. Everybody gets along, and I think it would have been more interesting to me if not, if not everybody came together, if not everybody wanted to have a beer, basically. And I think that would have actually been stronger from the brand perspective, and I think it would have been stronger from a messaging perspective that, quite frankly, not everybody is going to want to build a bar together and have a beer. I think you know, I think it would have actually been more interesting, and I think it would have teed up what I agree with you on, which is, what is the ongoing conversation, right? So they created a hashtag for it, but to me it's like, okay, now what, right? Where can we go have this conversation online? Where can we go have this conversation in a bar? Where can we go to have an event? Where can we go to actually learn more about other points of view? Where, 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 what now, right? Other than a yeah. very interesting brand, piece of branded content that will no doubt be nominated for a Conline award and help publicists. What now? You know, what what is the impact of this thing now other than to be an ad? And, and at that point, I think it's actually OK to get a little more cynical about it, which is, is it just is it, was its only purpose to actually be an ad? And if, you know, if they're really serious about taking on this issue, then there should be a what now. And it should have been, you know, to me, it would have been much more interesting to have that to really have that conversation, to introduce it. Yeah, the, you know, so it, it felt a little bit to me like this is a bit of a cop out, right? So it was better produced. It was the story was better told. They left the brand out of it, which Pepsi made the mistake of not doing, and so they executed it well. But it still seemed very safe to me, and so um, I guess that's my critique of it. But again, I'm ha- I'm super happy that they yeah, actually it's, did it.
0: It's fine, like you said, it's fine, right? Um, which is which is great. I, and they also do the Neil Patrick Harris uh, commercials, which are which are full of yeah. levity and funny, That's right. and, and I love him, and so that it works out really well. But we talked about mission statements last week, and it's important that. And I know that <laughs> this doesn't necessarily work in advertising because somebody's working on a creative brief and gets a great idea, and like like let's work this out. But I've never seen Heineken's mission as this. Now, if this is new, if this is new to your point, this is like part of what they're going to do going forward, and this is part of the new Heineken, and we're going to really invest some some dollars into communicating this message, then great. But I don't think that's the case. I think this is somebody that had a great idea, and it it is, it's it's fine, and they're moving forward. But uh, I don't, I don't, I want to see consistency ongoing. Uh, Almost like I'll give you a really good example. So uh, for lunch today, we had Chipotle. And whether you love or hate Chipotle, uh, when you buy a purchase a drink or purchase anything, you get a bag. And for the most part, they talk about story. They tell stories. They have, That's right. They have famous. We talked and,
1: about when they just launched that. We talked about this, that on this exactly. show. Exactly. They have
0: Absolutely. famous yeah. and not so famous uh, writers that have been telling stories on the sides of their packaging for years now. And I love it, and I read them, and and that's kind of part of uh, the experience that they and they're very consistent about doing that, and they're very con- and a lot of those stories are about sustainability. Then if you go into their ads, it's all about sustainability. So when I when I think about that or or you know keeping that farm to plate in in uh, you know casual fast food environment, they. Try to do a pretty good job of it. They're they're fairly consistent with their communications. That's what I'm getting to with this one. I don't see any consistency. I don't think you and I will ever have a conversation about Heineken trying to bring these two worlds together again, and it'll win an award and and wonderful. So that's that's right. That's my take. And I don't. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm being really negative about it, but I just feel we're telling the truth. Great. I, I would. I wish it would have been more along the lines of. of this is what we've stand for. This is in our mission. And we're going to continue to invest in that mission.
1: Well, that's it because it feels so, and I think that's exactly it. Because on its own, it's like I, I think "fine" is the right word. It's fine. It's it's on on its on its own. It's a perfectly suitable, wonderful storytelling ad, right? And it it's great. Yeah. I, I'm I'm glad for them. It's wonderful. Good the for them. The opportunity to do something interesting here and given the gravity of the topic that they chose it feels like those who are going to be cynical actually have a point because if you're going to be cynical about this and say great you know this is just a brand trying to capitalize on you know world politics or or the point of view of of different cultures or you know whatever you want to look at it as as a means of fueling selling more beer they're right if you don't do other things, right? If you don't, if you don't continue the conversation, if you don't actually take an ongoing piece of the conversation, the ultimately they're, they're right. And, and, you know, so it's a, it, 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 I, to me, it feels like a wonderful project, but a missed opportunity to really create something interesting. That's it. <laughs> it.
0: Got nothing. I got. It's, it's like, fine. It's, it's it's. This is the right. fine episode. It's all
1: fine. It, it's all yeah. fine. So good for that. Yes. All right. So well then. We, if so, since it's fine, we should move on. That's yeah. yeah, <laughs> what it's you're fine. suggesting. Yes, exactly. All right. <laughs> well, well, moving on to other sort of wonderfully positive unicorn-filled news. Yes. Um, ESPN came out this week and said they're going to cut. A hundred Air Personalities. Ah, I oh. um, I, and, and, and we'll actually link to the yahoo.com because Yahoo needs a little bit of traffic. We're feeling um, sorry for Yahoo. So we'll actually link to the yahoo.com article, although a lot of people covered this, um, calling it everything from a bloodbath to it. was. There were a lot of wonderful metaphors in that <laughs> one as well. Um, The article that we'll link to opens up by saying ESPN is going to cut more than 100 employees today, all on-air talent, uh, and that number is much bigger uh, than the 40 or 50 that was initially reported. ESPN aims to notify all of the people today if it can do so, which seems a little odd as well. Um, It has been widely reported for weeks that big cuts were coming, so widely reported and and dissected and gossiped about, in fact, that ESPN moved up its schedule and is notifying people earlier than it originally had planned the 100 people getting cut are all on air talent a label espn uses for tv personalities radio hosts and writers who regularly appear on tv and radio espn says it has a thousand such people prior to these cuts what did so there were lots of interesting speculations and lots of mentioned of content strategies um in these articles um what did you think about this
0: look i'm again i don't um i don't It's almost like this is a non-news story to me, and I know it's not because it's ESPN, and these are on-air personalities, and I don't know which ones they are, but they're making some major cuts. I think we need to have a little bit of perspective to keep in the P family today. Um, I just watched an interview with the new Coca-Cola CEO that said in the next few years they're going to go from 120,000 employees to 40,000 employees. That's a bloodbath. (laughs) Right. That's 80,000. We're talking about 100 here. So that's let's right. just keep it in perspective that, I mean, and I read, by the way, I, I don't know if you've checked it out, but they have that ESPNfrontRow.com where the, where they release sort of the story about ESPN's, uh, content strategy evolution, if you will. And I, that's kind of a neat thing. It's sort of ESPN, um, sharing story, inside stories with what's going on in the organization, almost like their internal, uh, mm-hmm. content product. So I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that this is just, they look at the data and look at analytics and look at what's going on with their subscriber numbers, and they're saying, look, we've got to make some changes. We want to be more agile. This makes most more sense for us. There's a couple of things you got to keep in mind with ESPN. First of all, talent is cheap to them because literally anyone will work for ESPN for almost nothing. That's right. So there's a line of really amazing talent that will work for ESPN and they will take the minimum to do it because it's ESPN so that they're allowed to make decisions like this and it's not going to kill them. The other thing that I think is important in this article is if you are at all involved in content marketing strategy, you should read the the article uh, that we'll link to in the show notes. But they talk about uh, ESPN's over-the-top strategy, which is – and you've talked about this a lot on the show, uh, Robert, where they're trying to go around the distributor. So yep. is ESPN's losing subscriber numbers not necessarily because of what ESPN is doing, but they're losing it because of what's happening with, with cable television. Exactly. And Dish and all those, where a lot, there's less people signing up for that. A lot of people are cutting the cord. And so they're losing subscribers. So their over the top strategy is how do we set up direct subscription and direct revenue opportunities with our audiences? And that seems like that's where the future of ESPN is. So, I mean, this is a great brand lesson for all of us where they're saying, look, Distributed content is not where we want to be. We don't want to have to go through somebody to to access the customer. We want to go direct. We now have this opportunity to do this. So ESPN is going to try to, to create their own direct opportunities for signing up to ESPN and they really haven't unpacked that yet. I mean you can get it on Sling and you can get it on a couple other different I think five platforms the article mentions, but they don't have their own like home base to go to yet. And I think when that's launched, you will see a complete transformation of ESPN.
1: I think that's exactly right. I think and, and this is not this is not just, you know, something that is you know relegated only to ESPN either every every cable network is feeling this to some degree ESPN perhaps more pronounced because of things that we've talked about on this show before but you know sort of two things come to mind here one is exactly what you just touched on which is this is you know this is this is the over the top starting to really play here in terms of shifting business models for content networks such as ESPN, where they're going direct to consumer, and that's a painful process. Um, You know, when you start looking at, you know, so cutting the cord is still a small percentage, but the point being that you've reached saturation with cable TV. There is nowhere to grow with cable TV, right? So so you've watched as the cable TV companies, the Comcasts of the world, have gotten into other businesses because cable TV, there's nowhere to go. Everybody's got cable TV now. It's a hundred and, you know, it's 90-something percent of penetration into your market there's nowhere to go and so as people start competing with you it starts looking worse and worse because basically you just get eaten away at all the edges and 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 you know and 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 that's a and that's a bad thing ultimately so they have to transform and that means that the networks are transforming and this over-the-top thing is is coming for everyone as we as we've talked about that feeds into what i think is the more interesting thing here from a content marketing perspective which is the opportunity that it once again starts to afford brands that are paying attention um, which is you know look like them or not a hundred new very talented people just came on the market.
0: Oh that's true I didn't even think about that that's a and, great
1: point. And, and you know where are they going right and so just like we talked about when we talked about um, what's that show that you love so much that that um, that got cancelled um, and we were wondering um Ah, it's an, it was a sports show. Um, oh,
0: you're talking about the the uh, the one the ESPN got rid of, Grantland. Yeah, yeah.
1: Grantland Yeah, thank you, yeah. Grantland. Thank you. I was blanking on the title of it. Yeah. And you know, when we said why doesn't a brand pick that up, and it's the same same thing here. There are plenty of of, of really talented writers and on air personalities that are looking for work now. And there's a lot of you know, and this and this is there right? There's a, you know a hundred air personalities today from ESPN and. Your brand may not be in that business, but this is happening everywhere, right? This is, you know, in smaller, less newsworthy ways, this is happening at magazines. You and I both know magazines that are getting cut, sure. sold, turned, you know, turned off, where editors, writers, journalists, producers, um, you know, animators, all these content creators are looking for work and brands, as we just talked about with the idea of Heineken there's an opportunity there to create your own audience and to create your own content and to build your own media, and that's there. And this this is, to me, another sign that the only thing, the only difference between a brand becoming a media company and a media company becoming a brand is talent. And talent is starting to come on the market, and that is a uh, that is a very opportunistic time to take advantage of such things.
0: It's, it's a different it's very, very different, but you can see the similarities with what brands did when they jumped in with Facebook, and they got their fans and followers, and they were all excited, and then Facebook took away those privileges. It's, a, it's I mean, not that cable's necessarily taking away those privileges, but they're just losing market share, and ESPN's going down with them, and now ESPN sort of has to fight and figure out, okay, what's our direct strategy? So instead of brands going out there and saying, well, how and we're going to talk about Snapchat in a bit, but how am I going to use Snapchat? How am I going to use Facebook and how am I going to use Twitter and all those things to build fans and followers? Maybe you should be thinking, hey, how do I build my own audience that I can have at least some kind of control with my communications to my customers? So
1: that's right. That's right. And so this is it. Right. Because, you know, if, if, if you care about marketing, right, just forget even content marketing for a second. If you care about marketing. You want the ability for brands, whether or not you decide to do it or not, you want the ability for brands to have to create their own media properties, right? Because honestly, if it comes down to the internet basically consisting of Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google, guess who loses in that game? exactly. And so you want, and I mean, this gets a little bit to my rant that I'll get on a, a, a little later in the show. But we want an open and 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 diverse internet with which brands are creating media and value through content, because that just keeps everybody much more interested um, and out of you know and out of the walled gardens that will be you know Facebook and Google and Apple and Amazon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, amen. I feel like I'm at church. <laughs> <laughs> all right we 're moving on here, so speaking of innovation um, and speaking of trying out new platforms um, it 's funny how these things like they work together almost okay. like we do it on purpose here um, the we 're going to uh, link to a mashable uh, wow i 'm just noticing all of the people that we linked to this mashable business insider, Yahoo. A weird linking strategy here, all right, so it's mashable now. Um the headline here is New York Times launches. On Snapchat. And you go, What? What are you talking about here? And the article opens up by saying, Remember this date in history. By the way, huge hat tip here to James Gardner. Um, hi, James, friend and family of the show who sent this over via Twitter. Um, thank you for this story. Yeah, we had idea. a lot of people send this on. Yeah, absolutely. yeah exactly. Um, but remember this date in history, April 24th, 2017, the New York Times launched on Snapchat Discover. Um, All the news that's fit to print will be transformed into an edition on Snapchat, says the article. Going live at 6 a.m. every weekday starting Monday, it's a dramatic moment for one of the world's oldest and most respected newspapers and news brands to dedicate resources to a young app. For Snap, the parent company of Snapchat, it's a big endorsement for its product at a time when social networking giant Facebook is on a quest to crush the company's growth by releasing copycat features. Six years ago, when Stanford student Evan Spiegel pitched an idea for a, a sexting disappearing messaging app, nowhere in sight was the prestigious New York Times leveraging 20 people to contribute to designing the launch on Snapchat Discover. The ongoing team is about half that size. And yet here we are. For Snapchat and for the Times, so much has changed. What do you think about this? I, I, I have a take on this, but I want to get yours first. Well,
0: I, you I, I mean, it should be noted that they waited two years after the launch of Snapchat Discover until you know and what other publishers were doing to get involved in this so they obviously were were looking at it studying it paying attention and they decided one that they could reach a new audience because that's really what they're trying to do here the the new york times audience in general is aging and they're trying to say okay how can we reach a new audience this might be a way to do it they're looking at a new monetization opportunity i we don't know the the story doesn't say whether or not uh, snap is paying them as they they're paying them something We don't know if they're paying them a significant amount of money. So there's something there. It's a new opportunity for them to make money. And they're trying to figure out, hey, is this going to help them either launch new products, uh, other opportunities to make money, or is it going to help us with subscriptions? So, I mean, this is a test for them. And they're dedicating, I think it said six people to it at the start here as they go forward. And I I have no problem with it. Um, and then, I mean, the story even talks about they moved away from instant articles on Facebook because that wasn't working. So they're trying this out. And from from a sheer just, hey, we're going to test it out. We're going to see if this works. There is already money attached to it. So the downside risk of this is probably little to none. Um, might even be, be good if they're making some money off it of, from the start. So I, I'm I'm fine with it. We'll see how it goes. I don't love the fact that they're spending so much time on helping build Snapchat like we all helped build Facebook, but if they can actually drive some of their uh revenue and profit goals through it, it's it's probably worth a shot since there's 161 million regular users of Snapchat and mostly those are younger people that that the New York Times is trying to target and haven't been able to so far.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, you know why I like it? It it's it, because it's it to me it's a marketing play. Yeah. Um, and and to me, it's a brand marketing play. Um, I, I can't remember if it was James or not when he sent it over. Had said there was somebody who sent us a note that said basically that their kid had said, you know, what's a New York Times? Basically, you know, New York Times There's was no de- yeah. is dead to the young kids. And I and that resonated with me, but it to me it feels so. I actually went on, you know, I, I went and looked at a few of the stories with, with that are associated with this 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 story, and and clicked through to some of the stories that the Times were covering on Snapchat. I'm I'm not on the Snapchat. I'm not hip enough. <laughs> the, to be Snapchat. On the Snapchat, you know? <laughs> like so, the Facebook, yeah, um, or Twitter. But I did click through to the stories, and I was really encouraged by the stories because to me they were um, they were. World events, but not necessarily politics, not necessarily – it seemed like they were picking stories that young people would be interested in learning about, right? So one was a – you know, one was this investigative reporter who was in Africa – and was reporting on some, you know, the, this, this, um, uh, this effort, this nonprofit effort that was using to, to build up a local economy there. There was some other ones that was talking about technology and following some guys he went to go vote. Um, so it was like stories that I felt like young people would would resonate with. And to me, if it gets them interested in the brand and trusting a brand like New York Times to bring them the news, they might go find it elsewhere that yeah. is more monetizable. And so as a marketing experiment, I really like it from the New York Times perspective. And then if they can start to build a business on top of it, well, that would be good too. So I, I, I like it for that reason. I think the great
0: lesson, and it's, this is not rocket science by any means, but the great lesson is they're actually telling a different story in a different way. Yes. Exactly. They're not like, hey, we're gonna post a New York Times article on instant articles on Facebook, which is generally or just the take same the stand
1: thing. right. It, take the standard feed of the New York Times yeah. and put it through Snapchat. Right? It's not. It, they're actually curating the right. The, you know, to, it, it appears. I, I I don't know this. I don't have any inside information, but from my uneducated eye, it appears that they're actually taking a highly curated feed, special to Snapchat. And using yeah. Snapchat to sort of highlight stories that that audience would be – that would resonate with that well,
0: audience. Well, from the journalist standpoint, it almost to me looks like a rough cut. It's like, oh, let's take – we're going we're gonna to take some content here. We're going to take some video. We're going to take some audio. And then they, they basically cut it together and present that on uh, on Snapchat. But then that, that can – seems to be the start of a story. So then they can build that out. They can edit it. And they can actually create a story for New York Times or, or New York Times Online. But it sort of starts with, hey, let's see how this plays on Snapchat to this audience. So, I mean, you could look at it that way as well. It's just like doing something with the initial content that you've never done anything with. That's right. So, that's right.
1: Whatevs. What- <laughs> whatevs. Whatevs. <sighs> All right. Well, speaking of whatevs, it is now time for not your whatevs, it is your favorite part of our show. It is our rants and rave section when Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we're really, really persisting toward success or something that makes us feel like we just want to resist altogether. Um, And so let's see. I have this old marketing, and so I'm going first. Okay, I'm ready. Let's hear it. I have two rants uh, this week. Um, Yeah, uh, the first... Um, so as we have really rarely, um, and purposely ever been. So my two rants made me feel like an old man this week. I I have to say, this is definitely the this is of the get off my lawn, you know, uh, sort of thing. This is both of these are a little bit of get off my lawn. Um, The first is is political in nature, and sorry, that's it's the only political thing that I ever speak about um, publicly, um, sort of in my role, and that is net neutrality. And so I just want to, so literally breaking today, um, if you don't know, net neutrality is the issue over the open internet. And if you haven't educated, if you're at at all involved in technology or digital marketing or anything having to do with the digital world, and you don't find yourself getting involved in the, uh, idea of net neutrality and the open internet, I urge you to go get educated on it because it is an important issue. Um, and it's something where if you believe in net neutrality, as I do, um, being a geek going all the way back to the origins of the Internet, um, you either believe it's a public utility and a right to have or you don't. And you believe that it should be able to be gated and and really a price put on on anything which hurts, you know, we can get into the arguments about why that hurts rural uh, and the rural poor most of all, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. I just want to touch on a an, an article that literally came flying into my email, uh, email box as we were speaking here, um, coming in live on, on Mayday here, which is a federal appeals court today has rejected a request to review the decision upholding the FCC's net neutrality regulations. In other words, once again, a bit of a blow to the Trump administration who wants to get rid of all the net neutrality regulations that Obama put into place. Um, And this is a victory for net neutrality supporters. Um, Basically, basically, shutting down the FCC chairman, the new FCC chairman's um, announcement that he wants to repeal all the rules around net neutrality, they basically just let um, cable companies and Verizon and all those companies sort of set the price for bandwidth. So basically if they decide that you're going to pay more to get Netflix, well, then you're going to have to pay more to get Netflix. Um, anyway, so I'm going to link to the it's, – it's something that I, I – you know, the, the rant – is, is, is big with me when it comes to looking at the open internet. And it's something I feel very passionate about only because it is something that I think will truly affect how we, you know, how we do marketing, how we do research, how we educate our children, how, you know, the, the world works. And I absolutely believe that the internet is a public utility. And, 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 uh, and so there's, there's my my, real quick, my son, Joshua
0: has been following this. He's going to be very excited that there's. Oh, good. They're, yeah, he's he's been really worried about. He's for, well, for whatever it's, reason it's, he's he taken. should still
1: be worried because this is going to go yeah. to the Supreme Court, and um, you know so. So, you know, I'm hopeful that it goes to the Supreme Court and then it falls the right way, but it could just as easily fall the wrong way. So it's, it's the only thing that – it's the only real issue. I mean there are many that I get involved with privately, but it's the only one I get involved with publicly because it's – it's it's to me, I'm, I'm fine to go out on that limb because I'm fine to have that argument with anybody who wants to have the argument. Yep. So, all right. So then, that, then, then this one is truly get off my yard. This one this one is this is one where I'm actually going to prove that I have gray hair because I care about this. So, have you seen the meme that goes around? It goes around like once every couple of months somebody posts it. Um, it's the one that says you're never too old to succeed. And then they say, Morgan Freeman was 40 when he got his first acting role. Samuel Jackson was 40 when Vera Wang was, you know, and they go through this list of celebrities that didn't get, quote unquote, their break until they turned like 30 or 40 years old. Right. Yep. And basically the lesson out of all of that is it's never too late to chase your dreams. It's never too, you know, you know, you can always, you know, pivot and turn into something else and and transform into a wonderful butterfly and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So it's wrong. It's just wrong. So the sentiment isn't wrong. I absolutely believe it's, you're never too old to chase your dream. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 51 this year and I'm still chasing dreams. And, and I'd absolutely believe that. But this isn't the argument because the argument and just to the theme of the show it, for all of these people, because I actually went and I went, something about this really bugs me. And so I went and actually looked at every single example that they gave in these memes and they're all wrong. They're just wrong. That the again, the lesson is lovely, but the lesson is not about chasing your dreams when you turn fifty years old. It's about persistence. It's about persisting in your goals. And if that's the lesson of this thing, then wonderful. Because so, if you go look at it, it starts out with you know Morgan Freeman, um, you know didn't get his first movie role until he turned forty. Well, no, Morgan Freeman was on Broadway. Um, when he and and started acting when he was in his twenties, right after he came out of the military, worked his way through all these theaters. Was in Broadway, won the Obie Award, by the way, in nineteen eighty for his role in Coriolanus. Um, nineteen eighty four, he got an Obie Award again in uh, the Gospel at Colonus, and was basically working his way through Broadway when he finally, yes, did get a movie role in Driving Miss Daisy. But I'm going to guess that Morgan Freeman. Would value his Obie awards and his Drama Desk awards for his work on Broadway probably as much as he would for his role in Driving Miss Daisy
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so you look at Samuel Jackson the, the one Samuel Jackson didn't get his first movie role until he was 40 or something like that so Samuel Jackson of course started in the Civil Rights Movement in the 60s when he was in his teens and his early 20s and then he too was on Broadway and went to New York and basically spent his entire life trying to be an actor and, a, and, and was a working actor through Broadway, through the Yale Repertory Theater, through Broadway and then yes, did get his big break in in, in superhero movies and all of that Alan Rickman, where it says Alan Rickman was a designer, and then he got his big movie role when he was 35 years old. That's not even a little bit true. Alan Rickman was a highly respected English uh, theater actor in the Royal Shakespeare Company and, you know, uh, all of these wonderful um, theater and the court drama group, um, I, I, I suspect he values his Royal Shakespeare membership more than he does his sort of Gruber um, a, a, in Die Hard, you know, an RIP, by the way, for, for Alan Rickman, wonderful actor who mm-hmm. passed away last year. Stan Lee, they say, basically didn't get his first comic book until he was 30 years old. That's not true either. He got his first comic book writing assignment when he was 21 with a Captain America. He didn't start his company until he was later on, but he had worked his way through all of these comic book companies on his way up from the time that he was a teenager until the time that he's still alive now. You know, Vera Wang, when it says basically she wasn't an editor of uh, Vogue, and then didn't design her first dress until forty. By the way, she was the youngest editor at Vogue ever, um, and she then went to go work for two years. She was at ed- she was an editor, by the way, at Vogue for seventeen years, and then went and left. Went to Val- Ralph Lauren as her their main designer for two years before breaking out on her own. So all of these things are nice and wonderful, and b- they but it's teaching the wrong lesson. The lesson that should be taught at the end of that little meme is that if you Continue to work and focus and persist at what you want to do in life. Your dreams can come true, will come true, whatever you want to do. It's not about finding some new dream when you're 50. It's about actually having the tenacity to be persistent at what you want to do. All these folks, basically, their big break was decades in the coming. And that's, that's all I want to rant about. Wow, you're very passionate about that. Well, it's just, I see it every time, and it's like, you know, every time I see it appear on social media, it's like, you know, I, everybody's like, yeah, that's right. You can find a new dream tomorrow. It's like, <laughs> uh, you know. Like, yeah. 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 You know, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I told you it was a get off my yard story. I mean, I uh, this is me, like listen, you damn well, kids, the, the, you need to have some patience and get, you know, get your education. You know, it's, I, it, there's some of that in there. I grant you, but it's, I, I, I want the lesson to be the right lesson.
0: Well, and the, the thing that does bother me about those is you j- just take the next step and do a little bit of research. Right. It's, it's not, it's never the way it comes out in a meme, right? You, it, you can't really say too much in That's those, right. uh, those images that they send around or whatever. Um, Alright, I have a uh, quick rant and a quick rave. I think what I'll do is the rant first. Why don't we do All that? Right. This is really quick. So uh as you know, uh my my wife has never been great with her phones. Uh, they sent they tend to be they tend to get into locations and places that they're not supposed to be and they end up breaking uh fairly easily. But we but the last ten months we actually did pretty pretty well. We hadn't broken any screens. Well, yesterday Broke a screen, dropped the phone, so we had to go get a new phone. So we go, we have AT and T. So we go to AT and T, and and the first thing is, is we're going to see if we can get the new phone. Right on the home page, they have you know the whole Mark Wahlberg uh, new campaign that they have going on for AT and just saw it today okay. for the first time. Yeah. So it's actually the, yeah, it's actually not bad. It's, Angelica Houston, yeah, it's it, cute. Yeah, it's cute the way that they're doing it. Yeah. So they have so actually it's not, for ads. It's pretty watchable. But mm-hmm. if you go to the homepage for AT&T, what it says is it it doesn't say, hey, come check out and see what cool things Mark Wahlberg's doing or Marky Mark, depending on, you know, what generation you're from. <laughs> uh, right. Or, or hey, th- find out how you can have entertainment your way in this. Check out the 60-second 60 me- 60 clip or whatever. It just says watch the TV ad. Well, like right. what a missed right. opportunity that is. Yes. Nobody wants to watch a TV ad. It's just like uh, we talk about it all the time. Nobody wants to click on your blog. Go to my blog. Nobody wants to check out your white paper. <laughs> right, Nobody cares so. about any of that stuff. They right. want to know what's in it for them. Like, watch the TV ad. is completely meaningless, and I think they've got some. So I actually clicked on it, and it's it's a combo- compilation of all the different ads that they're doing. And he's funny. I mean, it, they, they do a good job in it. It's, it's worth watching. I liked it. I watched it twice. But watch the TV ad the only reason I clicked on it is because I was looking for a rant and I found it. So, so I guess the point is to anyone listening is don't j- just think about the audience's needs for just a little bit on what they would want to engage in here. You're spending millions of dollars to get Marky Mark to do something for you. And all you have to say in front of them is watch the TV ad. Come on. That's right? <laughs> exactly. Give me a break. Um, So, so that's, that's my rant. My rave is, and
1: you'll probably appreciate this. You have you read the book Dune? Oh yes. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. I'm sure it's on my resume with uh, uh, along with Ulysses from James okay. Joyce. Yes, I've, well, that I've read Dune. The
0: yes. sad thing is that I'm correcting as we speak. I've never read Dune, so oh. I have it in mm-hmm. front of me now. I'm starting to read Dune because it's always <laughs> good
1: luck. I'll, I'll talk to you next
0: year. Exactly. It's really <laughs> large. It's like twice the size of a Bible, um, but. Uh, but I, I started to read it and there's an introduction from uh, Neil Gaiman on um, on the the best six of the pe- classic Penguin books. So this is this is obviously published by Penguin and the introduction is they do little synopsis and overviews of the six best penguin books of all time one is dune and then goes on i got my attention right away because my favorite book of all time is stranger in a strange land by robert heinlein and they cover Great that part. one and there's four four yeah there's four other books they talk about and i just thought it was interesting as here i'm about to, this is the 2016 version of dune i think it was published in 65 64 65 something like that so i'm reading this book and now penguin has created an interesting introduction actually marketing five other books for me to read because i'm reading dune and i just thought that was i mean this is not rocket science either but the fact is they they've they've got five other pieces of assets they would they would like me to uh, to buy or rent or whatever the case is. And they've told me about it in an entertaining way in a forward. And I think that, you know, you and I have done that a couple times in our ebooks that we put together where we say, Hey, if you like this, here's some really good information that you're going to want. So basically, marketing other content in your content marketing. So that's I right. I like that aspect of it. This is a very traditional way to do it, but you don't see books do that very often. Like and I just I just read uh like if you read the new Patterson book, you know, that's an opportunity to say, Hey, if you like this one, you'll also like these three. Um, where it's really easy to do. They've already purchased it. It's not going to spend anybody's time. And you get somebody that actually has a little bit of perspective on it to give you some insight into why these are so critical. So I just thought that was an easy thing to do that we could learn. And uh, here I am on my way to reading. Looks like the longest book I've ever read in my life. So there you go.
1: (laughs) Yes, it will be. It will be. The spice. Exactly. The spice.
0: So you have uh, an interesting, this old marketing
1: I do week, have an yeah. interesting this old marketing, and and it's 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 hard to believe that we actually haven't covered this um, in our 180 previous shows, um, and so it's funny because one of the one of the, the the examples that gets sort of thrown at us a lot, and we've certainly thrown it around a lot is of course michelin the tire maker yeah um a lot of people don't know that michelin um you know made the michelin guides which were you know the the you know the the guides that they used to throw around in way back in the 1900s um, around for traveling and helping travelers find locations et etc cetera, etc cetera. and we talk about the michelin guides a lot um and of course Michelin restaurants, a lot of people don't realize that the Michelin restaurants, the, the rating, the the very, very coveted rating of a Michelin restaurant is the same company. It's it's, it's a Michelin tire. But the interesting, there's, there's another tire company, Pirelli, who also does quite a bit of content. And the one thing that they do content of that uh, we haven't covered before, uh, but that's very, very famous, is their famous Pirelli calendar. Um, the Pirelli calendar is a calendar that's been published by the company and basically given away to very important um, corporate clients as a gift very limited availability it was a very you know coveted thing for a number of years started in 1963 that they started publishing the calendar and giving it away to a very set few people and what is renowned about it of course is the quality of photographers that they get and the models that they get Um, and it was for you know a number of years a very let's call it a sexy. See, um, some might call it sexist um, idea of 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 you know of an art form, and the calendar was of very pretty models um, in bathing suits, usually, and but but done by quite famous photographers. They've had, over the years, they've had photographers like um, Richard Avedon. They've had Annie Leibovitz. um, They've had, uh, uh, I'm just scrolling through here and looking through, Carl Lagerfeld uh, was the photographer one year. Um, Peter Lindbergh, and Peter Lindbergh has been a a couple. And he is the photographer this year. And the reason that I found it fascinating this year is because they've completely... Rebooted the idea this year, um, for 2017, and it just came out at the end of last year, so it's the 2017 calendar, um, and it figures, uh, features rather, um, actresses like Jessica Chastain and Pen- Penelope Cruz and Nicole Kidman and Rooney Mara, Helen Mirren, um, and, this year, they went completely different and basically rebooted the whole idea of the Pirelli calendar. And it's all these beautiful, um, actresses and, 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 and famous women without makeup in very natural clothing, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's kind of gone away from the sort of classic idea of pinup calendar to something much more even artistic. But, of course, from a content marketing perspective, it's something that they have published every year. They did have a break in 1974 in the mid-'70s when they were going through some um, economic trouble, but then basically resurrected it as soon as they could. Um, And it has been continually published every single year. It is now a staple, very, very, you know, a collector's item in in many cases. And for those who actually receive it, part of uh, the gifts that they get, a very valuable thing that they get every year from Pirelli. And just an interesting, I thought, um, example of this old marketing and one that continues to redefine itself, even here it is, you know, you know 50, 60 years later.
0: Is that how many years they've been doing it? Over 50? Uh, well, it's
1: 1963, okay. so you can do the math really All quickly right. here. I guess that's what, uh, that's 40 plus 10, it's 50. Oh, yeah, this 50. is not a math show. This is yeah, stuff, right. nothing I'm, to do. Yeah, with that. I'm a marketing person. They told me there would be no that <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. No, that's interesting. It is interesting how so many tire companies have been doing these sorts of things for so many years.
1: I mean, what's yeah.
0: Michelin Guide was what 1902 or something. That's like right. That? Yeah. That's
1: exactly. Yeah. So the early 1900s, right? And then they got in from there. They started doing the Michelin ratings of the restaurants and produced the guide for the restaurants, and that became the Michelin stars. And so you have the Michelin stars, the restaurants, et cetera. And so it's a fascinating, you know. Here you got tire companies getting into creating fashion and art um with their calendar as well as, you know, starring restaurants. They, you it's know, tire t- there's a tire manufacturer. It's fascinating to me.
0: I you know, I love the fact that if you really look at the history of Michelin, how they came to making some of these decisions and thinking about, hey, if we do, you know, people are traveling, how do we get people to drive more to do, you know, and then they came up with these ideas and it's just fascinating. So, yeah. Exactly Anyways. all right, my exactly. friend, so what do you got uh, what do you got going on here?
1: I am uh, traveling again. I hit the road tomorrow uh, afternoon. I'm off to uh, a keynote a conference It's called the Big No uh, kNOW the Big No it's a conference in Chicago. Where um, it's an online learning. It's for um, basically brands that want to get into developing education um, as a marketing technique. And Sweet. I'm there to obviously talk a little bit about content marketing. So I'm excited about that. Um, lots of hopefully big CMOs in the room to chit chat with and talk about content marketing. And uh, and then, yeah, back home. Uh, back home uh, toward the end of the week. How about you? Very very good. Um, I'm actually not going.
0: any I have a. A European trip in a couple of weeks that I'm taking, and uh, and I'm pretty much
1: getting that everything. Be interesting. Well,
0: uh, well, I'm getting I'm getting prepared. Well,
1: I'm in Australia in a couple of weeks, so oh, it should be interesting really? trying to figure out the show. Yeah.
0: Well, I don't want to, I don't like to travel before Billy Joel's birthday, so I, I like there. to prepare <laughs> for. Well, my birthday's the day after, so I like I like, I like to be in town. The way you all right, <laughs> thank you. We
1: need to end the show before that I start singing Billy Joel and ruining it for you. We'll just have a Billy All Joel right.
0: episode, special episode, sometime where you and I can just talk about the, our favorite Billy Joel albums, but not today. So, okay, fantastic. Know. I'm sure that'll be a very <laughs> be a hit. episode.
1: <laughs> that is it, ladies and gentlemen. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off and. Thank you to our sponsor, PowerPost. Thank you for making all of this wonderfully possible and being so powerful in your posting and for helping make this little hour of magic possible and persisting. Um, and if you like this episode, number 181, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes, folks? We need those reviews. We want those reviews. We need those reviews. We're trying to get the Cadillac this month. And if you haven't yet, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com or your favorite podcatcher. And when you leave us a review or if you subscribe, won't you let us know and hashtag us up at this old marketing Um, on the Twitter we'd love to thank you personally for all of that and, of course, if story ideas, story ideas, story ideas, we love those story ideas, please send them to us. Either hashtag us up at this old marketing on Twitter or send us an email, you know, ThisOldMarketing at ContentInstitute.com. All the links we talked about, of course, will be available in the show notes as we go to publish on Monday night and, of course, in the show post that we put out on ThisOldMarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.